0: It's no secret by now that I am incredibly passionate about ending human trafficking and really all issues around preventing human trafficking. I mean, one of the things that I could talk about all day is if we want to really have a productive and honest conversation about what it's going to take to end human trafficking we've got to start thinking about what we need to do on the front end. How do we keep people from falling into the trap of human trafficking or having to work in brothels and all of the issues around that? And as we know, one of the biggest factors in preventing somebody from falling into the trap of human trafficking is by providing a job, education, opportunity, sustainable economic opportunity. This is how we end human trafficking. Well, my guest today found herself in a really unique position in which she started a social enterprise that is caring for women, escaping human trafficking and exploitation in East Asia.
1: Welcome to the Business with Purpose podcast. Welcome to the Business with Purpose podcast. With Purpose podcast. Here's our host, mm-hmm. Molly Stewart, our mom.
0: Welcome to the Business with Purpose podcast. I am your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week I interview an entrepreneur, CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an incredible person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only with their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guest this week is Jenny McGee, the founder and director of Starfish Project, a social enterprise that cares for women escaping human trafficking and exploitation in East Asia. Jenny started her work by visiting brothels every week and building relationships with the women and girls who worked there. She found that many of them had either been tricked into working in these places or they came from incredibly desperate circumstances. Most had very little education and many could not read and write. So Jenny began Starfish Project to provide alternative employment and educational opportunities for these women and girls. Starfish Project began with five women working around a kitchen table and has grown to employ over 150 women since its beginnings. Today, Starfish Project has two women and children's shelters and reaches thousands of women every year through their outreach programs. 100% of their profits are reinvested into their social mission to restore hope to exploited women and girls. Without further ado, on to my conversation with Jenny. Jenny, I am really excited to have you on the show today for quite a few reasons. One, I have been a fan of Starfish Project for a long time, and you have been on my list of guests that I want to have on the show for years, like four years now. So this just feels like a long time coming. So I'm really happy to have you. Wow. Well, it's such an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And then secondly, this is pretty much like a big milestone because um, for my listeners, I have mentioned before that I typically record in a recording studio in my husband's office. Well, you are the first guest that I am interviewing during COVID-19, the coronavirus. And so I am currently recording in my closet. So this just feels very different. And obviously, you know, we are living in a really different time. And I had considered for a while, I was like, well, maybe I just won't do any interviews during the coronavirus. Maybe I'm just going to hold off. And then I was like, no, that's silly. We're just going to go with it. My listeners are awesome and are going to just, you know, we're just rolling with the punches, right? Yeah, that's great. (laughs) So I want you to start off by giving us the Jenny 101. That's what all my guests do. Just tell us who you are. And kind of, you know, where you're from and how you got to where you are today. All right. Yeah. Um, Well, I'm from a small town in Indiana
1: called Goshen. And, um, but I moved to Asia about 18 years ago. And, um really out of, uh, I did a study abroad in college and just fell in love with this place. And so I moved here uh, with my husband. We got married right out of college and ended up moving over to East Asia and really just with a heart to serve. And um, and so I started learning the language here, which was challenging, but not exactly knowing what I was going to do. I had no idea when I when I moved here 18 years ago, that I would end up starting Starfish Project, but have really just made my life here. My three kids were all born here. I have um, two boys and a girl. And about 14 years ago, I started to see a lot of um, young women working on the streets and working in brothels. And just my heart went out to them and And um, actually, I had a friend who really wanted to uh, start reaching out to these women and girls. And so she talked to me because I could speak the language. And so I kind of went along initially as a translator just to help her. And as I heard these girls' stories, it just broke my heart. And I always laughed because I was a terrible translator for her because I would get so engrossed in their stories that I, I would forget to translate. And she would say, what's going on? I would like, just wait, just wait. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, we just started visiting and um, connecting with the women we had met and I was surprised as I started to get to know them. I found a lot of them were coming in from really poor villages in the countryside and into the cities looking for work. And um, because the value of girls in the countryside is still very low compared to the cities. And so a lot of the girls weren't getting education. They were sending back money so that their brothers could attend school. And um, that just really broke my heart. And I saw that as we visited these brothels, a lot of most of the women and girls there didn't none of them wanted to be there. And uh, most of them were really there for economic reasons and because of the value of girls in the countryside. And so out of that place of just making these connections and building those relationships, that's really where Starfish got started as a trying to meet the need for these women of um, providing new jobs and and, um, training for them, educational opportunities. And, And so, yeah, Starfish was really born out of that place. And we started really small with just five women working around a kitchen table and it's just kept growing from there.
0: That's amazing. And like I said at the beginning, I mean, I'm, I've just been such a big fan of your work and obviously the jewelry for so long. And so for people that obviously you kind of alluded to it some, but for people that maybe have never heard of Starfish Project or aren't familiar with your work and, and the beautiful jewelry that you guys produce, just tell us a little bit about, about what you guys do today. Obviously you've come a long way since you first started. So kind of what, what is Starfish Project? When somebody says like, what, you know, what do you do? <laughs> How do you answer that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so we're a social enterprise jewelry company and we care for women escaping human trafficking and we work to help them um, experience freedom, establish independence and develop careers. And so that really looks like, you know, the experience freedom part is we actually have teams, myself and some of my coworkers, we go into the brothels every week and visit the women who are working in the shops there and build relationships with them, um, whether that's in person, sometimes through, um, sometimes through social media apps and just build connections. And when women um, have needs, they reach out to us, but we're also providing jobs for them and so offering them a way out if they want to leave that place. And so the second part, establishing independence, we have um, two women and children's shelters where we can take women in who need a safe place to live. And then they can also start getting a safe job with health benefits. We have retirement benefits. And, um, but beyond just having a job, I think the part that makes me most excited is we help women develop careers. And so at Starfish Project, all the way from, you know, the woman who puts the beads on a, on a string of a necklace, all the way through our graphic design, photography, accounting, we try to use all levels of the company to employ women um, coming out of human trafficking and exploitation and give them opportunities to do all different levels of jobs and And then they can take the skills that they learn at Starfish Project and take them into other companies and and find employment elsewhere, too, if, if they choose.
0: That's so important. And one of those aspects of the work of social enterprises that I love so much is the empowerment piece and how, you know, one of the things that you guys really focus on, like you said, is just equipping these amazing women with skills that you know, if they want to continue to work at Starfish Project, they can. But in a lot of ways, you are trying to work yourself out of a job, which is just such a unique position to be
1: in. <laughs> <laughs> right. We had one woman, for example, who came in and was super creative. And so we um, gave her the opportunity to study graphic design and photographer. And she ended up becoming a really amazing photographer and um, graphic designer. And she ended up leaving starfish and set up her own business online and runs a really successful, little small business in her hometown. But then her leaving actually gave opportunity for other girls to step up and also step into photography and graphic design. And so now we have a small team of women who are studying that and improving all the time. So if you go onto our website, all the pictures you see are taken from women in our program. And, um, so it's always hard to see people you poured into like move on. But I think it's also always opening space and opening doors for other women then to learn new
0: skills as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's that's, that's the whole goal is like you see an opportunity and, and so much potential in an incredible young woman who, you know, who just life has handed her really difficult circumstances. And it's about creating an opportunity for her to be able to, you know, maybe learn a new skill or make a connection that she wouldn't have had otherwise um, and be shown that, that, there's, that there's an alternative. And, um, you know, like what you said when you, when you were saying how, like, when you were speaking to a lot of these women and girls, I mean, some of them, they're just, they're young. They are in these brothels, they're, they're caught in the bonds of human trafficking, and they don't want to be there. This is not something that they woke up one day and said, you know what I think I want to do today? Like, this is not a choice that they have had to make lightly. And... So to provide an outlet, an alternative is is so key. And I, that's why I, it's one of the things that I just love about the work that you do. And I also love that you incorporate them into every aspect of the business. And that's a unique aspect, I think, of what you guys do is a lot of, you know, a lot of social enterprises, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but, you know, th- maybe the artisans that they work with are simply just more on the side of creating the product, but then... You guys also create opportunities for them to learn, you know, the web portion and, and photography, graphic design, all that kind of stuff and, and, you know, packaging and all the all those aspects of running the business, you really involve them. And that is just creating such a well-rounded opportunity for them to learn so many new things.
1: Yeah, I think that's uh, one thing I love about Starfish is because the women who, you know, learn different skills, they really become team members as a part of the greater Starfish project team. And so, um, you know, I go into the office every day and we have, um, production happening, but then we also have girls working in accounting and graphic design. And so like all week I've been working on this marketing project with girls who've gone through our program, but now they're doing the photography, they're doing the sourcing. And so I think from day one, when new girls enter the program, they see the potential for their future. You know, I think, um, we actually have very few women ever leave starfish to go back to the brothels. And um, we didn't realize how unusual that was when we started. We were one of the earlier groups to start working in this space. But over time, I started looking at like statistics and found a lot of organizations had a ton of women would actually go back into the brothels. And we hadn't had that experience. And I think a big part is when they come in, they can see right away, you know, this girl came from the same background as me, and now she's a photographer. This girl came from, you know, she had very little education, too, and now she's studying accounting. And I think from day one, even if they start, you know, on the production line and they're just doing very simple tasks in the beginning, they can see the potential for their future. And um, so I think that also does a lot to bring them hope as well.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And I would never have even really thought about that point about, you know, just the kind of the, I don't know if recidivism rate is the the word I want to use, but you know what I'm trying to get across. But yeah, yeah, that's really important. Um, I'm curious, like, you know, having lived in East Asia for 18 years and kind of moving there with, you know, what, well, actually, I want to go back. What was it that initially drew you to East Asia from Goshen, Indiana. <laughs> you know What was it that, that you just said, you know what, I think this is what I want to do is I want to move to East Asia.
1: Yeah. So I originally came to East Asia as part of a semester abroad program. I attended Bethel College in Indiana and um, they had this program where you could go and study for a semester overseas. And I just fell in love with this place. Um, everybody was riding bicycles and it wasn't, it was a very different city than it is today. Um, much less modern and But I just fell in love with the place. And I I think it was really a calling. When I look back, people ask, you know, why did you love this place so much? I'm not exactly sure, but I just feel like some place you just have a burden for and a heart for. And um, so it really felt like a calling. And I was 19 when I first came on my semester abroad. It just opened my eyes to this whole other world that was just so completely different than anything I had experienced. And yeah, my husband and I decided to move back.
0: That's amazing. And I love that, you know, you you referred to it as a calling. A lot of times when I speak with friends who have moved overseas and they're like, let me just tell you that this isn't something that I would have chosen. A lot of times, like I hear so often about how God just orchestrates so many things in such unique ways. And it's clear that you have, that he has, he's called you there and he's placed you there. And it's just really amazing um, the way that you are walking out that calling, even when I'm sure it's difficult.
1: Yeah, it's funny because people often think it must be a real challenge to be overseas. And there definitely are the challenges of, you know, not seeing your parents as much or my my children not being with their grandparents. But there's also so many, um, so many blessings. So I think it's just, um, you know, what you feel called to. There's grace for that. And yeah, I've been really blessed. My kids go to school with kids from all over the world and um, just, you know, they grow up speaking two languages and there's a lot of things they get to experience that are really quite amazing too.
0: Yeah, I was gonna ask, like, are you in a community that has a lot of kind of expats or is it, you know, do you just have people literally all over the world that live around you? I'm just kind of curious about, kind of where you are, you know, as far as like where you're, like you mentioned your kids go, go to a school with people from all over the world. Is it like a specific school for kind of expats or how does that work?
1: Yeah. Um, well, it's kind of interesting in this huge city. I actually live in a migrant village and um, oh, my family is the only like foreign family in the village. So it's very interesting place. People, here um, come in from all over the country to like find work in the city. And um, so it's pretty chaotic and crazy. Even my other friends from, you know, who are from the city, they will come into our village and like, why do you live here? But um but most of the women we reach out to come from the migrant villages and are um, migrants themselves. They came into the city looking for work, and so we just felt like that was our community. Those were the people that we were working with every day and so we wanted to share life together. So we live in this migrant village <laughs> and um, but then my children go to an international school where there's kids from all over the world. Um, who attend there. So it's kind of this interesting mix of cultures (laughs) that we experience all the time.
0: Yeah, that is, I just think that's amazing. I mean, obviously, I don't live overseas. um, But one of my favorite things that I love about like where we live in Durham is we just live in a really diverse area. And our entire neighborhood has people from all over and um, you know my kids school has people from all over and I just think that's you know I grew up outside of DC so that is similar to kind of the childhood I had where there's just a lot of I wasn't surrounded by people who look like me (laughs) you know what I mean and I think that's just so important for um, you know teaching our kids about other cultures and just you know having our kids grow up in a diverse environment is so important. I'm gonna take a quick break from my conversation with Jenny to share with you the brand new Summer 2020 Capsule Collection from Seiko Designs. It has launched! This collection is the perfect expression of reclaiming our vision. Our minimalist floral design, hide and seek, is a celebration of the hidden gems in our midst every day. We've reimagined and elevated the classic Ugandan paper bead jewelry to add a delicate and unique flair to your summer wardrobe. And our tiger lily pieces are inspired by the boldness of their namesake, and each of our bags are as eco friendly as they are beautiful. As you continue about your days, we hope this collection reminds you to look for the miracles and to be fearlessly, boldly, and unapologetically you. To shop this incredible collection, you can go to seikodesigns.com forward slash Molly Stillman. That's S-S-E-K-O designs.com slash Molly Stillman. Now back to my conversation with Jenny. Now, you know... Obviously, things are we are like i said, we're we're recording this in the middle of a global pandemic. <laughs> and I, I'm just kind of curious, like how have you guys, you know, how have things been for you? How have you guys had to adjust and change? And, you know, I've just been really curious as to how my friends kind of in the the ethical, the fair trade, small business world are are handling things and and what have you guys done to kind of adapt and innovate? throughout this? Yeah, it's, um,
1: it's definitely been challenging for us. Um, in particular, because we're in Asia, we dealt with it very early on here. And so I feel like we're kind of in round two right now, because, you know, our, um, all of the women in our program dealt with it. And when it happened, it was the spring festival time. And so the women in our program had all gone back to their hometowns and to their villages. And so it's like the equivalent of it happening at Christmas time when everybody's back with your in-laws and in your hometowns. And so they were spread out all over the country. And, um, and then when it happened, it was really hard for everybody to come. A lot of people got stuck in their villages and couldn't return back to the branches where they work. And, um, and then we couldn't get any raw materials for a long time. So about two months, we really could, we were turning away orders because we couldn't fill them. And, um, and then just when we like started to see the light at the end of the tunnel here, like really hit the U S hard. And so now we can see like our customers and, and we have a team there in the States to our U S um our U.S. coworkers, they're all, you know, experiencing it so heavily there. And so, um, and then of course now we're feeling it more on the sales side. And so it's definitely um, impacted our business a lot. And then just day to day life, I think um, here we had a lot of different regulations and, um, you know, I had to do like a full 14 day quarantine. They come and put a sign on my door that I'm fully in quarantine and can't go outside. And, um, so it was pretty intense. Um, and now we have little cards where you can like come in and out of your neighborhoods, but it's affected our outreach and that like all the neighborhoods are blocked off. And so, um, so we can't go into, um, other neighborhoods where the women are, um, working in the brothels. It's hard to go in because we don't have the paperwork to get into those villages. And so it's definitely kept us on our toes. We've been trying to the neighborhoods, like I said, I live in a migrant village. So even within my neighborhood, there's quite a few brothels. And so um, so we've had like packages, we've made little care packages and have taken it to the brothels that we could go to. Um, but some of the women in there, we were surprised to see they had taken um, bike locks and locked themselves in because they were just terrified. And some of them, the bosses wanted to save money. And so they had no electricity, no heat. um, And so it's just hard to see the different conditions that people were in. And then just the fear, of course. And I think the always the vulnerable people get hit the worst. And so, um, yeah, so just seeing them, you know, an extra state of vulnerability, I think is hard. Um, But then also trying to be a light and, and a place of hope in that time. And I think also because we experienced um, the virus first and like through our social media and stuff, we've tried to be able to share what we <laughs> what we learned from that and hopefully be a bit of a place of hope um, for other people now, even the, in the States experiencing um, all the challenges that this virus is bringing. I know it can be really depressing and discouraging. And, and um, so we've just tried to like keep bringing hope into that place.
0: Wow. Wow. Now, a question, I, I'm i the kind of person where like if I, I will sometimes have a question and I'm like, this probably seems like a stupid question or maybe a silly question. and But then I'm like, uh, somebody else probably has it. So I always like to just ask it. So I hope this is okay to ask. So one of the things that as you were talking, I was thinking about this is like as things are locked down and you kind of shared a little bit about it, but like as things are locked down you know, especially all over the world. I mean, one of the things I have thought about is, like, how are, I mean, like, how are brothels affected? Because, like, if people can't leave their houses, like, can people go to brothel? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is an awkward question to think about. But, like, you know, all these places where you have people that are going and soliciting sex or, all, you know, what does that look like during a global pandemic. I realize that is the most professional and well-versed question I've ever given in my life, but you know exactly what I'm talking about, right?
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, here, I can't speak for other places, but here definitely were shut down for a long time. And so that um, definitely left women in like really vulnerable. I mean, they're always in vulnerable places, but I think of course, no income is coming in. And so then it creates a whole other set of challenges. And then, just communication, I think is is extra difficult but um but yeah, like I said, uh, the bosses were turning off the electricity, and so girls were like using flashlights and stuff because the bosses themselves are trying to cut um cut cost and and typically um here girls live in the brothels, and they um they you know that's their whole place of <laughs> being, and so um so they're deeply affected
0: wow, wow. Yeah, uh, man, I can't imagine. Can't imagine. But yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Is during times like this, it's the most vulnerable populations that are the greatest affected. And it's heartbreaking.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've thought a lot too about, um, in our branch city where we work, um, there are a lot of young girls in the shops. And, um, when we go out there, we'll regularly see 12 year old girls in the brothels. And so just thinking about those 12 year olds in such vulnerable places, I think is heartbreaking, especially during these kind of times.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh man, Jenny, thank you for the work that you do. (laughs) Um, and that all, you know, just the amazing women that you work with and, You know, I'm just kind of curious. I I mean, I know that obviously we live in a a time of uncertainty right now. How has your faith kind of carried you personally through this time?
1: Yeah, I don't know how people get through these times without faith, really. Um, Even for our team, though, I will say that I think in general, our faith as a team has brought us together and really given us hope and um, even with my coworkers, I told them, please don't put your faith in me <laughs> to fix all of our problems because I can see, I mean, very quickly, you see how little you actually have control of. And, um, and so we've been being honest with them and real that I have so little control over the situation, but but our God is big and and he has um, control over everything. And so, um, so I think for me, just... I think in this season too, what I filled my mind with and what I've like taken the time to dwell on is really impacted how, you know, my perception of things. I think really like focusing on the word and, um, and keeping my mind focused on, on hopeful things, I think is really important during this time. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I absolutely, I absolutely. I mean, I've started and ended my day every single day with focusing on gratitude and you know, starting my day in in the word and that has been so important for my mental health <laughs> during this. But I agree. I, I always, I'm like, I just don't, I don't know how you get through something like this um, or any trial or tragedy or tribulation that, that we go through, how you get through it without faith, you know, the the hope and the promise that we will be stronger on the other side, even though maybe it doesn't look like it right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what is, you know, in the future for for Starfish Project, what is your your hope and your prayer for for Starfish Project over the next, you know, you kind of look in the immediate future and even kind of down the road?
1: Yeah. Well, we've really been working on growing our business. So I think I can see very clearly that clear correlation between the amount of jewelry we sell and the amount of people that we can help. So we've We've really been working hard to grow that business so that we can the different job opportunities and, and be able to just help women get out of the brothels. And um, so we've, we've really been um, trying to form larger partnerships with um, other retailers and, and trying to expand Starfish as far as we can take it. And so we're just excited about some of the um, partnerships we've made and, and, and growing our, our projects into yeah, being able to sell as much jewelry as possible so we can help as many
0: people as possible. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a great goal to have. <laughs> um, well, Jenny, uh, before we go, I want to transition just a little bit to ask some just kind of fun, get to know you questions that I do at the end of all of my episodes. And that's one of my favorite parts of the show. So Jenny, are you ready for the get to know you round? <laughs> sure. Okay. So question number one, this is a a very time specific question, but we've, you know, we've been talking about COVID and coronavirus and all that kind of stuff. Um, But I wanted to know, like, what are you learning about yourself during COVID-19? That's a good question.
1: (laughs) Well, I think one of the big things is just how I like to be in control and when you don't have, you quit. I, I just realized that's something I've always struggled with. And you feel like you've come so far. And all of a sudden in this situation, you realize, hmm, I still have a lot to learn. <laughs> and um, I, one of my mentors uh, early on, he told me to um, really pray about, even about um, starfish, just regularly saying, Lord, this is yours. Do with it what you will. And that's been something I've been praying for a long time. And um, But during this season, I've had to speak that out a lot more.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, man, I'm right there with you. Okay, question number two. If you were a professional athlete, what would your walk-up, your hype song be? Like when it was time for you to, you know, step up to the, the plate, when it was time for you to, you know, hit those free throws, like whatever, whatever it is, what is your hype song?
1: <laughs> um, that is a good question. Um, I don't know why, but we will rock you just in my head.
0: <laughs> yes, anything queen.
1: <laughs> and I just think it has such a good beat and you know, gets you pumped.
0: <laughs> I like it. No, that's a great choice. That's a great choice. I'm a big I'm I love Queen, so I'm I'm here for that. I love it. Okay. In 40 years, what do you think people will be nostalgic for? Oh.
1: Hmm, that's a good one. Maybe like printed photos. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Because even already, you know, when my kids were little, I started making books, but then quickly you end up with all of it on your computer. And it's rare you actually like print the photos. At least I speak for myself. It's rare I print the photos. But for my 40th birthday, my mother gave me a photo album that she had like put together of my childhood. And it was so, especially because I live overseas, I didn't have a lot of stuff from my childhood. And that was just so meaningful for me that she had taken this time to put it together. I
0: love that. That's a great one.
1: Yeah. It's like one of the possessions that means the most to me because, um, yeah, just so much like care went into it.
0: I love that. Yeah. I, you know, I was actually talking with my husband about that the other day. It's just like, I have actually this kind of, I mean, I think it was like a toy box, toy chest that is really now just filled with all these photo albums. But it's all photo albums from like my parents' wedding and like my childhood, like my baby years and stuff. But I don't have anything like that from, I don't know, the past 20 years, 15, 20 years. (laughs) So that's a great great one. Um, I love that. Okay. And then my last question is, what does it mean to you, Jenny, to run a business with purpose?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I have the great fortune of being able to work side by side with women who are being transformed every day. You know, we have women come in who are looking at the ground because they're too, they are too—they feel so much shame. They don't want to look you in the eye. And then a couple of years later, they're managing a team or they're a great photographer or they're making jewelry so quickly and training other girls how to do it. And I think for me getting to work side by side with these women as partners in building a business and then being able to watch them change and transform and, and myself learn so much and grow and grow together with these women. I think for me that's such an amazing privilege and you know, the essence of a business with
0: purpose. Mm, I love that. I love that. That really is the essence of a business with purpose. Uh, Jenny, this has been such a joy and a pleasure Um, using technology, Zoom, (laughs) which everybody is using right now uh, to talk, you know, on basically opposite sides of the world. It's pretty incredible that during this time we can connect in this way. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for uh, Starfish Project. Thank you for following God's call on your life and um thank you for being my guest today well thank you for having me it's been so much fun absolutely Okay, friend. I would love to know what you loved about this episode, or maybe something that you learned. If you do, let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook, and don't forget to use that hashtag #BusinessWithPurposePodcast. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you are a first-time listener of the show, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring incredible entrepreneurs and business owners who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you are a regular listener of the show, thank you so much for tuning in week in and week out. And thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, or wherever you listen to podcasts and click that subscribe button. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you just take a moment to leave a review for me? Leaving a review really just helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. As always, this show is produced by the amazing team at Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose.
1: Now go do something good with purpose on purpose.